0: Matthew 22 and verse 15, the Bible reads this way. Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent out unto him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Master, we we know that thou art true and teachest the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what thinkest thou Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why do ye tempt me, ye hypocrites? Show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny, and he saith unto them, Whose image and superscription? And they say unto him, Caesar's. Then saith he unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things which are God's. When they had heard these words, they marveled. And left him and went their way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the service to this point. And Lord, I pray that you would take the time that we have remaining and that you would use it. I pray that you would use me and fill me with your precious Holy Spirit. I pray that you would give exactly to these people and to myself what we need spiritually, physically, mentally, and emotionally. Lord, I'm dependent upon your grace and mercy today, your sustaining power. I pray that you would give me the strength that I need, that I would continue to be the man of God that you would have for me to be, for these uh, your people and for my family. Lord, I ask that if there is one here this morning that does not know you, that today would be the day of their salvation. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This is one of the most known encounters of our Lord with the religious leaders. Matter of fact, this encounter is not only known to the religious community here that we would say, the world would say, it's the religious community that's gathered here today. And it's not only known to the religious community, but this encounter with the Lord is known to many in the unsaved world. The reason being is because it has to do with taxes. If you look at the IRS in 2018, they spent $11.7 billion to collect your taxes. It took 73,519 full-time employees to do so. You know, we're coming up on an election year, and uh, you have heard and you will continue to hear about one candidate or another. You're going to hear about one candidate, how they're going to lower your taxes, right? And then you're going to hear about another candidate that's going to raise your taxes. And by the way, side note, don't want to get too political, but side note, P.S., nothing's for free. You will pay for it one way or another. Okay? So we're not going to get free education. We're not going to get free health care. We're not going to get free whatever. What we will get if we get it for quote-unquote free is we will get our taxes raised. But that's enough about that. An increased tax is not what most people want. We don't want to have to pay more. We wish our government would be more efficient with what they receive. But we also must understand that many of the wonderful benefits that we have in this country is because we do pay taxes. See, we, we pay taxes and it helps with medical care and helps with mati- military protection and it helps with our roads and bridges and it helps with our public education. And, and so I'm not advocating this morning that we don't pay taxes. But what I am saying is that people, for as long as we can remember, talk about taxes and there are many good people who fall on both sides of the issue. And what we find in this portion of Scripture this morning is that Jesus is dealing with the Pharisees and one's responsibility to government and to God. And we all have a responsibility to government, and we all have a responsibility to God. It's currently Wednesday of Passion Week. As we've been going through this, we're in the Passion Week of our Lord, and it's Wednesday of Passion Week. Jesus will be crucified on Friday, but let me be quick to say he'll rise again on Sunday. He's just cleansed the temple He's finished the parables that's pointed out the self-righteousness of the Pharisees right before this. And now on Wednesday, Jesus is teaching in the temple courtyard, and the Pharisees have now been publicly exposed and totally embarrassed, and now they want to entrap Jesus in order to destroy him. These men were furious at Christ. He had revealed their heart, what they were really like. He unveiled who they were before all the people. And now they could not just stand there silent. They had to retaliate. They could not be shown up. They were going to get Jesus to say something publicly to try and trap him in his own words. What I find interesting, when I was reading this passage, it's interesting to know that these men were going to try and trap the word in his own words. The Bible says in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, speaking of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So these men, who thought that they were so smart, were going to try and entrap the Word with his own words. The one who is the giver of words, the one who is the creator of language. They thought that they could trap Jesus with his own words. Kind of ironic. What we see here, we we see how Jesus exposes them. I want you to see, first of all, this morning, the motive of the wicked. The motive of the wicked. In verse 15, then went the Pharisees. Then went the Pharisees. What do the Pharisees have exactly in mind here? What are they wanting to do? Then went the Pharisees. We see this. What they had to do is they had to take a time out. They had just had a, a spiritual and verbal smackdown from the Lord. I mean, they were totally humiliated, so they had to come together, and Jesus is in now. It's Wednesday now, after Tuesday, after all that took place, it's Wednesday, and Jesus is in the temple courtyard, and they come together, and they start having a little meeting. They had to figure out what was going on and what they were going to do with Jesus. It says that they took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. They were looking to ensnare Jesus. Jesus. It's the idea of a bird flying into a trap, Uh, a bird unknowingly just flying along and then being caught into a trap. They wanted to catch Jesus in a mistake. It's the only time in the New Testament here that we find this word used. They were looking, the idea is that they were looking to lead Jesus to make a statement, not realizing the fatal consequences until it was too late. You ever do that? You ever have somebody you're talking with and they're leading you along, and then at the very end, you realize that you're caught between a rock and a hard place and you can't say anything? If you say one thing, you're going to get in trouble, and if you say another thing, you're going to get in trouble? That's exactly what they were trying to do. They were trying to lead Jesus along to be able to entrap him before he could figure out what was actually happening, and then he's caught. So they had consulted with some of their arch enemies the Herodians. But when it comes to destroying Jesus, the Pharisees could care less about their personal or political feelings. They just wanted to get rid of Christ. Their motive was to ruin Jesus. You know, motives of the heart are something that we all must evaluate. See, what was the motive of these, of these wicked? We've got to evaluate our own motives if we're not careful, we'll do things out of the wrong motive. We need to ask ourselves this morning, why did I come to church this morning? Did you come because you didn't want to get a call from the office? Because man, it's been three weeks and I haven't been there. Did you come because you're afraid that maybe the Pastor writes you a little note say, hey, I, I missed you? Did you come because you knew that your friends were going to be here? Or, young person, did you come because you had to? the only reason I'm here is because mom and dad make me come. Or did you come because you love Jesus? Did you come because you wanted to sing praises unto God corporately? Did you come because you wanted to encourage another believer this morning? Did you come because you wanted to pray with somebody? Did you come because you wanted to worship the Creator God? See, our motives tell us more about ourselves than what we really want to give credit to. See, we need to ask ourselves, why are we doing what we're doing? Why are we saying what we're saying? Why are we going where we're going? See, the truth that we can learn from this is that motive, motive is something that we need to be willing to check against the Scriptures. In Hebrews, write this down. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, the Bible says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of, of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You say, well, what should I check my motives against? You check them against the Word of God. You check them against the Word of God. See, their motive was wicked. Oh, they pretended pretty well. In front of everybody else, they looked good. They they said the right thing. They did the right thing. They acted the right way. But their motive was wrong. See, if you check your motives against the Word of God and make any necessary adjustments you won't have to worry about what others are thinking of you. You won't have to worry about that. See, there, there are plenty of people that will judge your motives, but if, if you know that you are right with God and you're right with uh, other brethren, you can, you can be able to uh, live comfortably, put your head on the pillow at night, and if those people think negatively about you, that's on them, not on me. Why? Because my motives have been checked by the Word of God. You know what I find interesting? That many times in a church setting, people are always trying to figure out and judge, what's the motive of the pastor? What is he up to? What's going on? You know what the Bible tells us? That we are to think the best of people. That's what love does. That's what love does. And you know, if we were to take that, instead of trying to judge motives, because we really can't judge motives. The Word of God can but if we were to take that, do you know how much talking would stop? It's unbelievable. It really is. It just, it just quells everything. That, you know what? I'm going to think the best of that person. I'm not going to believe that. I'm, gonna, I, I'm going to take what uh, I believe is true about that person and think that. What's the Bible say? That we are to think on those things that are good and pure and lovely and just, but most of us, if we're not careful, you know what we're doing. We're always evaluating. We're always. We're always questioning. We're always judging somebody else's motive. What's he up to? What's she up to? What are they doing? Wonder why they. Wonder why they did this. You know what I found? There's more to the story than what you and I realize. See, in these people, these religious leaders, their motive was wicked. It was wicked. But not only was their motive wicked. Take a look at the manner of the wicked in verse 16. The manner of the wicked. And they sent out unto him their disciples. Verse 16. The manner of the wicked. You know what I find out about these Pharisees? They are cowards. They are cowards. They have no backbone. They have no backbone whatsoever. Why is that? The Pharisees wouldn't go to Jesus. See, they had already been humiliated. What does it say? It says that they sent out their disciples. Almost once again trying to trick Jesus because, hey, Jesus probably already knows us and knows that we wouldn't be true people, wouldn't be asking an honest question. So we're going to send some of our lowly little bit disciples. He probably doesn't know them. They're just in training. And we'll send them to Jesus because he probably won't know them. And number two, I really don't feel like being humiliated again. See, they, they, they had no backbone. They sent someone else to do their dirty work. Take a look at Matthew chapter 21, because we see that Jesus had just exposed them for being prideful, self-righteous, and dishonest people. They couldn't go to Jesus with an honest heart, with a pure heart. Matthew 21 and verse 45. And when the chief priests and Pharisees had heard his parables, they perceived That they spake of him, of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. But it even goes further. Take a look at the rest of verse 16. Not only did they send the disciples, he sends the Herodians. It's interesting because I mentioned before the Herodians, they were opposite, they were at the opposite end on the political spectrum. You couldn't get any more opposite. We had two types of political people here. We had the Pharisees and we had the Herodians. See, at this time, the Jews were underneath Roman occupation. The Romans had conquered the Jewish nation, the nation of Israel, and they were underneath the Roman occupation. And therefore, what that meant was that they were ruled by Roman law. And the Pharisees hated that. See, because they were underneath Roman law, they had to pay taxes to Rome. And the Pharisees resented that they had to pay taxes to Rome. And they looked at that, the Pharisees looked at that as an infringement upon Jewish law. The Pharisees were vocally anti-Rome. They hated Rome. They were totally against Rome and the occupation. They despised the Roman oppression. Now Herodians, on the other hand, they were pro-Rome. They they didn't have a problem necessarily with Rome. They were a small group of Jews that that were really loyal to Herod. And they made their peace with the occupying invaders. And they saw paying their taxes as an appropriate way to be a responsible and good citizen. So now we've got two polar opposites and they come to Jesus. We have the Herodians and the disciples of the Pharisees coming to Jesus deceitfully and pretending to be someone who they weren't. They were actually acting as if they wanted to know what Jesus thought, and they were actually acting as if they were going to ask a legitimate question. The question is, Why would the Pharisees and the Herodians work together? Doesn't make sense. I mean, think about it. You think about our country right now. Our government's not working too well together. We've got issues. Two polar opposites, right? People standing on both sides of the aisle. Well, this was a huge national issue, So why would these two groups come together to be able to destroy one individual? Why would the Pharisees recruit pro-Roman people? See, the Pharisees needed someone to be a witness that if Jesus said anything anti-Rome, it needed to be a pro-Rome group of individuals. See, the Roman government would question the Pharisees they knew, they knew that the Pharisees were anti-Rome. And so, therefore, the, the Roman government would be like, oh, you're just saying that because you're anti-Rome. So the Pharisees had to get a pro-Roman group to be able to trap Jesus so that way the Herodians could run off and, and go to Herod and then ultimately go to Rome and say, look, Jesus said something anti-Rome. See, the Herodians, you say, well, then why did the Herodians cooperate with the Pharisees because they didn't like Jesus either remember it was Herod who beheaded Herod who beheaded John the Baptist who was the forerunner of Christ all that he was doing he was was just paving the way for the Lord Jesus Christ and, and now Christ is on the scene so the Herodians didn't want anything more to do with Christ than what the Pharisees did now look at the manner here of the way the wicked tried to trap Jesus master master we know that thou art true and teachest the way of God in truth neither carest thou for any man for thou regardest not the person of men they say some very flattering things about Jesus to Jesus I don't know about you but this morning the singers have never sounded better I was, I was hoping for some flattery. Like, amen, pastor, that was unbelievable. We felt like we were in the throne room singing with all the angels. It was just angelic. It was unbelievable. <laughs> we all like flattery, don't we? But they're using flattery. They say, master, teacher. He says, we know that you're true. say not only are you a teacher, but we know that you are a man of integrity. You say and do what you say you're going to do. You, your life, teacher, master, your life backs up all that you say. Matter of fact, Jesus, you can be relied upon to say what is right, and you will not bend to statements to fit in with what other people would like to hear, unlike many people today, today they'll tell you what you want to hear instead of hearing or saying what you need to hear. You know, we could take a moment and learn a lot about integrity from the life of Jesus. And that's something that's really lacking in our society today. People will tell you whatever they need to tell you in order to get out of you whatever they need to get out of you. But what they're saying about Jesus, it is all true. That he was a man of integrity. That he did, his life did back up what he said. He says, not only are you a truthful person, take a look, they say, you teach the way of God, you teach the truth. Now, think about it. These are the people that want to destroy Jesus, and they're saying that he teaches the truth. They say, and you don't care for any man what's that saying? It's not saying that Jesus doesn't care about people. What it's saying is that Jesus is not swayed by the opinions of others, that Jesus is a person of conviction. Have you ever met people that when they're around one group of individuals, they're one way, and then when they're around another group of individuals, they're another way? They're called a chameleon, right? They blend in, they fit in, they're saying, Jesus, you're not that way. You stand up for what is right. You're a person of conviction. And says, for thou regardest not the person of men. What are they saying now? They're throwing all this flattery on Jesus. They're saying, Jesus, you're not fearful or you're not intimidated by anyone. I don't know about you guys, but that'd be nice to be able to hear somebody say that about you, about me hey, Pastor, I want to let you know you're a man of integrity. Oh, and and you know how it goes. Man, Pastor, we understand that you teach the way of God. And Pastor, you know, you're a man of conviction and we know that you won't bend to opinions of others. Pastor, we know that you are not fearful and. You will stand in the face of anybody because you believe the truth of God's word. You know as well as I do. we will be like, oh, no, 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 no come on. No. But inside you're like, yeah, come on, come on, come on, come on. A little bit more. But I want you to see what... Scripture has to say, Proverbs chapter 29. See, they were saying these things, and these things were true about Jesus. But they were trying to use this as another trap. They were trying to use flattery to get to Jesus. The Old Testament talks about this in Proverbs. Take a look at Proverbs chapter 29. And verse 5, a man that flattereth his neighbor spreadeth a net for his feet. A man that flattereth his neighbor spreadeth a net for his feet. My dad taught me a long time ago. He said, son, do this. If you When you get in the ministry, you need to remember this. Don't believe all the good that's said about you and don't believe all the bad. If you do that, you'll be all right. It's the truth. It's the truth. See, and we like flattery and we think that it's a good thing, but what's happening is someone's actually spreading a net for our feet and they may not be doing that on purpose, but we'll fall into it. We'll start to believe the headlines. What happens? Pride cometh before a fall. That's exactly what they were trying to get Jesus to do. They were, remember, it's like a bird going into a net. They were trying to ensnare Jesus with this method. And now their manner is that they're trying to use this flattery to entrap Jesus. They were spreading a net for Jesus to fall into. But I want you to see, thirdly, this morning, the strike of the wicked. The strike of the wicked. Take a look if you would please in verse 17. Verse 17 tell us therefore what thinkest thou is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? Now they feel that they've set Jesus up. Now they feel that they've got him and they're they're getting ready to ask a very simple question. Here you go folks. Jesus, what's your opinion? What do you think? We like to give our opinions, don't we? We really do. We like to give our opinions on that. I heard one time somebody say, "Opinions are like armpits. Most of the time, they stink." You know. But we do. We like to give our opinions. I go around and I ask somebody, "Hey, well, what's your opinion on this?" And man, we've got we've got a wealth of knowledge. Even if we don't know anything, we've got a wealth of knowledge on it because we? we're going to give our opinion. Man, they, they want our opinion. They, they want to know what we think. What does that do? That makes us feel important. Folks, can I remind you, you don't get your worth from anybody else. You get your worth from the Lord Jesus Christ. If nobody ever asked your opinion ever again or my opinion ever again, that doesn't make you any less valuable to the Lord Jesus Christ or any less of an individual. But they ask Jesus, say, hey, Jesus, what's your opinion on this matter, this matter of... Paying taxes. The Romans had many taxes that the people had to pay. But one of the one of the, the taxes that the Herodians and the disciples of the Pharisees were asking, they were asking about a specific tax. It was a census tax, or it was a what we would call a poll tax. So they were asking Jesus, Jesus, what's your opinion on paying this poll tax once a year, this census tax once a year? It was a personal tax on individuals. And the amount of the tax was a denarius or denarii. And it's one day's wage. It was equivalent to one day's wage. So instead of getting paid for 365 days a year, you're going to get paid, but you're going to at least give back one day. So really, you only get 364 days a year and everyone had to pay it and it was done yearly and that did not sit well with the majority of jews see the jews believed that they were a theocracy they were underneath the rule of god and not underneath the rule of any man and this tax did not give any benefit to them it was not like the other taxes that they had paid they received benefits from them and it was paid to the roman government just to fill their coffers and this was a huge issue with these people, and these people, the, the the Herodians and the disciples of the Pharisees went to to right to a national issue. Here you go. It would be like this: the abortion issue. That's a national issue, is it not? I mean, it's dividing our country. The gay rights issue. That's a national issue. It's dividing our country. That's okay. That's exactly what these these um. Religious leaders did. They went to a national issue that everybody knew about. Everybody was talking about. People were falling on one side or the other. And they believed that Jesus could only give one answer. He could only answer one way or another. And what they thought Jesus was going to say is, don't pay your taxes. They believe that they've got Jesus in a corner now and that he can't get out. And The reason that they believed that Jesus would give the answer, don't pay your taxes, is because these very religious Pharisees and the disciples of the Pharisees felt that it was an offense to God. And so Jesus, being a very religious man, they felt that Jesus would say, don't uh, don't pay your taxes because it would be an offense to God. And this is what the Pharisees are hoping so the Herodians can run off and run to Herod and run to the Roman government and say, Jesus just spoke anti-Rome which would create an insurrection, which would ultimately lead to the death of Christ. That was the goal. You see, Satan's working all behind the scenes here. He's trying to orchestrate the death of Christ. This was their plan, and they thought it was fail-proof. I want you to see the denunciation of the word in verse 18. The denunciation of the word... But Jesus perceived the wickedness and said, why tempt ye me, ye hypocrites? There was a manner, there was a motive, there was a manner. They struck, the wicked struck, and now the wicked has set the trap for Jesus, but we see the denunciation of the word in verse 18. Jesus, it says, that he perceived their wickedness. They were trying to deceive God. Listen, friend, you can't blindside God. You can't trick God. You can't trap God. Jesus, who is God in the flesh, he is omniscient. He knew exactly what they were doing. And guess what, friend? You might be thinking this morning that, you know what? When I get to heaven, I'll be able to convince God that I can get in on my own merits Maybe I'll just slide right in. Listen, God knows your heart this morning. He knows exactly where you are. He hasn't lost track of you. He knows that you're sitting at 1073 New Brooklyn Road at Open Bible Baptist Church. He knows what you're thinking right now. He knows what you're feeling. He knows that some of you are thinking, hurry up because I'm hungry, I want to go eat. But He knows it all. And if you think that you can hide your sin and I think that I can hide things from God, and that we can keep our motives from God knowing, the sad reality is that you are falsely mistaken. Friends, there's nobody that's going to be able to deceive God or trick God and get into heaven on their own. The Bible says, write this down in John chapter 2 and verse 25, speaking of Jesus, and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Jesus knew and knows what is in man, and he knew that these men were rotten to the core. He knew what they were up to. He knew that they did not mean the things that they said about him. He knew that they were trying to catch him in order to put him to death. He knew it all then, and guess what? He knows it all now. See, just like these men cannot hide their true motive from Jesus, we can't hide our true motives from him either. Jesus knows why we do what we do. He knows why we serve. He knows why we give. He knows why we don't do what we do. And Jesus calls them out. Look at what Jesus calls them. Now, I know that this probably would not fit well in our society because we're so soft, But Jesus perceived the wickedness of their hearts. Why tempt ye, ye bad, bad men, ye naughty boys, oh, ye people who have disappointed me? No, now remember, Jesus is teaching in the temple and there are hundreds, remember, this is Passion Week, Hundreds, if not thousands, of people around, and they come up trying to trap Jesus, and Jesus turns around and looks at them and say, Why tempt me? Why, why are you tempting me, you hypocrites? He calls them out for what they are. He says, Basically, do you really think that I'm gonna fall for this? Do you really think that I can be trapped? with what you're trying to get me to do? Do you really think that I'm going to fail? And once again, Jesus unmasks the religious leaders, the denunciation of the word. He calls them what they really are. You see, folks, you can hide things from people in this church. You can hide things from the deacons. You can hide things from the pastor. Young person, you can hide a lot from your parents. You can hide a whole lot. Let me tell you something. There's one who you can't hide anything from. And you know, when we're trying to play both sides of the fence, we are no better than those disciples and Herodians. You know what we are? We're hypocrites. See, the reason why the world so many times will say, I'm not going to go to that church because I remember someone who went to that church and... Peter's the illustration from the word, verses 19 and 20. The illustration from the word... Show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny. And he saith unto them, whose image and superscription? This is really the heart of the text right here. Jesus totally blows these hypocrites away. He's amassed them. And he asked them for tribute money that they were to pay. And they quickly get one for Jesus. You know, can, can you almost see the, the Herodians and the disciples? Uh, and Jesus says, oh, they're, they're like this. <sighs> they're thinking, Yes. Yes, here we go. We have got him. We've got him. He might have called us a hypocrite, but that's okay. I can take that blow because I know what's coming. I know what's coming. And Jesus said, hey, give me a piece of tribute money. Can you see him now? They're like, oh, can't, can't get it out of my pocket fast enough. The type of coin that Jesus asked for was a coin that wasn't just minted by Rome. See, Rome could do, uh, what was it, bronze, and copper, I think, yeah, I think it's bronze and copper with Rome. But when it came to this mint, this was the emperor's mint. And it was a silver coin that only he could mint. So it wasn't the, 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 the per se the government of Rome. It was his personal mint. And it had his image on one side and, and a superscription or wording to identify him on the other side. And take a look at verse 21. Now Jesus comes back. They've handed Jesus the coin. Verse 21, they say unto him, Caesars, then saith he unto them, render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's unto unto God, the things that are God's. Can you almost hear them say it? (laughs) Caesars! They got it out. Caesars is on there. You see it, right? Yeah, it's Caesar's. And Jesus very calmly looks at them and says, then render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and unto God what is God's. And can you see the blood just run out of their body? They're just like, huh. it's they're trying to, trying to get their breath. But I want you to notice something here. Jesus takes it a step further. He says the word render. Remember, what did the, what did the disciples and the, of the Pharisees and the Herodians say? Is it lawful? Jesus says render. They're two different words. Jesus uses a word that takes this a step further. To render. What is to render? It means to pay back, to give back. It speaks, one man says it this way, it speaks of a debt, it speaks of an obligation, it speaks of a responsibility. It's not something that you have a choice about. Give back, he says, give it back. He made it, he minted it, it belongs to his economy, give it back to him. It refers to the payment of a debt, the payment of an obligation, a rightful duty, something that does not even belong to you. Give it back. Wow. See, in verse 17, they were saying, is it right for us to give a gift back? See, the the Herodians and the disciples of the Pharisees were acting as if they owned it all, that it was theirs, and they could do with it whatever they wanted. And what Jesus is saying is, this is not a gift. You are giving what belongs to Him. It's a debt and it must be paid. You know what the Lord's saying? Pay your taxes. That's right. Pay your taxes. The payment of a tax is a debt that is owed, and it's a debt set by the government. So Jesus says, pay to the government what is rightfully the government's. Then Jesus says, give to God what is rightfully God's. Oh, here you go. Now, now pastor's going to get to start talking about tithing and giving and, and money. This is per- No, that's not, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying that. Though I wish he was because I would love to be able to talk about giving and money. See, we know that everything belongs to God. The Bible tells us that, does it not? What's Jesus getting at? He's getting at worship. You say, what? There's no mention of worship in here. No, he's getting at worship. See, when they had this coin and the image of the ruler, Caesar, or the emperor was stamped on it, and then the superscription on the back described who it was, these rulers at this time they were looked upon as gods. And they were were to be worshipped as gods. And the rulers wanted to be worshipped as gods. And this was a great offense to the Jewish people. So what what happened is every time they pulled that money out of their their pocket, they uh, they would see this image of this ruler and realize that basically what the emperor was saying, what Caesar was saying is, you need to worship me. And see, Jesus was saying that you give the government what's government. But you know what he's telling all those people? The only person that you worship is God. You don't worship anyone else. Only God is worthy of your worship. And look what the religious leaders did after all of this. They left and went their way. Guess what? That's the same thing that everybody does that rejects the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They went, they 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 went, they left and went their way. See, we have a responsibility to government, but we also have a responsibility to God our responsibility to God is that the only thing that we should ever worship in our life is him and him alone. You say, how do I know if the only thing that I am willing to worship is God? If everything else was taken away from you, everything, your health, your finances, your home, your family, everything, the clothes upon your back, would you still praise him for being a good God? See, Jesus had the answers to these questions, and Jesus has the answers to all questions. And instead of asking, what type of man is this? Who is this man? They left and went their way. I know I preached a little bit differently, but I want you to take some truths home with you. What does the Scripture teach us? It teaches us that God knows the heart of man. God knows the heart of man. Listen, I know we all think this. We all think that we're the exception to the rule. You're not, and neither am I. God knows the heart of man. Secondly, that God has the answers to the most perplexing of questions. God has the answer. I may not have the answer. I might have to tell you, I don't know I have no problem saying that but God has the answers to the most perplexing question thirdly what else do we learn from this now listen God wants us to be obedient to government that is over us no matter listen how corrupt or evil they may be I didn't say that we have to agree but we need to obey the laws. The only time that we have authority to disobey the law is when the law goes against the law of God. If the government were to stand up and say, you can no longer preach against the sin of X, Y, Z... Well, I'm going to let you know I'm going to preach against that sin if that's what it comes to in the Word of God. I come to that portion of Scripture. You know how I preach. I preach systematically through the Word of God, and we come to that portion of Scripture, and it's mentioned in that portion of Scripture. Guess what? It doesn't matter what government says. I'm going to preach what the Bible says. But unless the government goes against the Word of God, we are to be obedient unto government no matter how corrupt or evil they may be. And then the fourth truth that we learn from this, that God desires you to only worship Him. That God desires only you to worship Him. So the question is, is there something in your heart that shouldn't be there? You're... you're, You know, you got those pet sins. We all have junk drawers at home, right? Most of us do. I want you to take a look at your junk drawer of your heart. You know, stuff in junk drawers, it should have been thrown out, right? You go in there and you're like, man, I should have thrown this out four years ago, you know. When we were moving in, we had someone over our house and helping us move in, and they my wife said, Go ahead and go through the, the spices, and whatever spices are bad, you can you can just throw them away. Man, we had so many old, over spices. I finally figured out that's why I lost my hair. It was bad spices. My wife was poisoning me. But you know, that's a junk drawer, right? You have stuff in there that should be thrown out. Guess what? That's just like our hearts. Too many times we think, oh, it's okay. I can play around with fire. I'm not going to get burned. And we play around with the temptation. That's the junk drawer of our heart. Is there anything in your life or in my life this morning that would say, God, I've got to confess it? Is there something in your life where you're questioning God just because you don't have the answer to it? You're questioning God. And just because God hasn't revealed the answer to you doesn't mean that God's still not in control and that he's still not trustworthy and he's still not worthy to be honored. How about this morning? I can't stand our president. I can't stand our government. You know, the Bible says as Christians, it doesn't matter who's in the office, Democrat, Republican, Pink Party, Purple Party, Independent, you know, Libertarian, whatever. But you know what the Bible tells us, Christian? We're to pray for our rulers. It doesn't mean that we have to agree with every single decision. It doesn't even mean that we have to like their politics. But it does mean that we need to pray for righteous judgment and the people around them that would judge righteously, that we would be obedient unto the government and then fourthly is there anything in your life that you love more than Jesus is there anything in your life more than you love Jesus maybe we need to do business with the Lord this morning because we have a responsibility to the government but we also have a responsibility to God